accessing agent files. Brian Sovereign. Early 21st Century Anarchist. Creator and host of the podcast Sovereign Check. By the year 2021, the show would be instrumental in the downfall of various conservative ideologies in the government, helping usher in an incredible time. Hey, want to take a walk on the wild side and experience the bleeding edge of technology? Then get ready because it doesn't get much more edgy than this. You're in for a wild ride. You're listening to Sovereign Tech with your host, the man in triple black, the golden stallion of the tech world, Brian Sovereign. He's got a huge brain. And now here's Brian. They said it couldn't be done. They said, anarchists, you can't have video games made about you. But then the Golden Stallion had to come out like Judas Priest and say, ooh, deliver the goods. And I delivered the goods this week. That's right. Sunday, May 3rd, was the release of Hyper Cronius. You got it. You want it. Go grab it, baby. Zog.ninja, uh, Hyper, you know, ZomiaOfflineGames.com. You take your pick of which way you want to go, you know, whatever web address you want to go to go get it. But it's out there. It's ready to go. $6.99 if you buy it from ZomiaOfflineGames.com. Uh, you, you can't miss it. I mean, there's links for the game all over the place on the website. It, it, there's a big picture on the left-hand side of the page you can click on if you want to grab a copy. Uh, am, we, I am accepting Bitcoins uh, as payment for this, as well as there's PayPal. And of course, through PayPal, you could also pay through credit card if you want. So if you're looking to get your hands on this game, you've got ways to do it. All right. And I want to make it real clear. Now, this week I had mentioned on Twitter that I was going to have the lovely and hyper-intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy on. Uh, and unfortunately, this week, that, that just that won't be uh, possible. So she helped out so much with making sure that Hypercronius got released this weekend, that it was a reality. The game was done on May 1st. I had it done on May Day. Don't think too much about that one. <laughs> but, um, but she, I mean, she just really, you know... It's amazing, you know, sacrifice so much of her own needs to really help me and make it a reality and thus make it a reality to you. So you can thank her as much as anyone for Hypercronius being what it is and for being available uh, right now. So she's got, you know, I mean, just I mean, you know, I'll admit I'm tired as hell. <laughs> OK, in fact, this is the first time Sovereign Tech's ever been uh, a day late. Uh, in Sovereign Tech's history. So anyway, it, it all comes down to, you know, just, just you know, being so busy, uh, so much to do. And there's a lot more coming uh, from me that I'll be putting up at ZomiaOfflineGames.com. Uh, don't think this is the only game. Uh, I could talk, you know, for important messages, I'll talk more uh, about uh, about the game and, and things like that. And of course, there'll be other episodes where I'll be talking about it. And I'm going to be kind of making the rounds on various shows and podcasts and whatever to to promote it. Uh, but I just, you know, I want to be clear with you, you know, first right out of the gate that it is uh, a short game. You know, it's it's not not terribly long, not terribly complex. Uh, I really, you know, I wanted to make sure everybody, you know, could could it was accessible to most people. In fact, I've already heard if you're going to ask this because I know a lot of my listeners love Linux. I already heard uh, from one great listener. Uh, she had said that, 
oh yeah, I got to run it on Linux right away because I made it a portable installation. So getting it this way, this is really the only way I think you're going to be able to get it as a portable installation. Otherwise, when it's available on GOG or Desura or hopefully Steam in the future, again, very short game. Keep that in mind, okay? Uh, you know, if it can get on those, then then with those, it'll, it'll come with like its own little installer and all that stuff. And so then it won't be as portable. So you're getting a very unique version uh, as it were, if you purchase it from ZomiaOfflineGames.com. And, you know, so grab it how you want it, okay? Uh, but it's available now if you want to jump on board and and, and play. Uh, gotten some, some pretty good reviews so far. And, you know, just really honored uh, that people, you know, really you know, really wanted. I mean, sales, you know, it's already coming. People are already buying. <laughs> In fact, one person, <laughs> she had bought it. Uh, like, like I was testing out the, the cart, uh, which is something Stephanie was really helping me out with. And boy, well, I could talk more about all that later, but I'll just say quick. I mean, like I was testing out the cart feature, you know, you know, check out the checkout feature, making sure that the Bitcoin payments work and the, and the PayPal payments worked. And so I had to like make the game available live but the game wasn't actually uploaded at the time and 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 some listeners were just like refreshing the website just waiting for it to go online because i had mentioned on friday that the game was done so uh, <laughs> so it's funny so and, and obviously i just sent them you know the links uh to, to the game after the fact and you know everything was fine but anyway so hypercronius is a reality it's out there okay i know it was a little late but it's here and Zomia Offline Games, I have to say, might very well be the very first anarchist, explicitly anarchist or voluntarist, whatever term you want to use, uh, game company in the world. Uh, and it's good to, you know, either be first or best. Maybe, you know, down the line, I'll be both. But at the very least, I get to be first. Uh, and and I, I love it. So, all right. <laughs> Enough of that. Let's get into Oh, no, you know what? One more. Let's do a little more housekeeping quick. Um, I did release uh, an episode. Stephanie and I were we went uh, to the the White Mountains just to kind of get away from it all, you know, from a lot of the stress. I mean, just wow. Anyway. <laughs> um, and, you know, up there, I released an episode that mentioned because a lot of people started emailing me saying, hey, you know, Stallion, the, uh, the the podcast feed, you know, the RSS feed isn't working for Sovereign Tech anymore. And I noticed the Sovereign Tech episode listens were down like like they were literally in half. Uh, it, I mean, like way, in fact, maybe even more. And so I was wondering, I was like, wow, what's going on here? And so apparently the, you know, I, the podcast feed that I made available was through FeedBurner. Now, I knew for almost as long as this show has been in existence that the FeedBurner, that FeedBurner which got bought out by Google or maybe was originally created by, I don't remember, um, but they said they were no longer going to support it after, two, you know, uh, after 2012 or into 2013. So I was aware of that, but it was really the only option I had because SoundCloud was still very much in beta with its podcast uh, availability. Now, I mean, you know, the ability to have a podcast on SoundCloud is run of the mill, but I was kind of, you know, admittedly, that was a bit of a trailblazer on that. And so now there is a new feed, you know, uh, SoundCloud puts together a really nice RSS uh, feed. And so I have that link. It's available uh, all over the place. Uh, you can go to SovereignTech.Ninja. You'll see it on the very first post. You'll see, I mean, the, the full UR, you know, the full XML or whatever uh, is or RSS is there, uh, as well as at the top of the page, there, there's a, you know, the, the normal RSS feed button that will actually give you the feed. 
um, for, you know, for, for the show Sovereign Tech. Uh, it won't give you a feed for the full-on blog. It'll just give you for, uh, for Sovereign Tech. So, uh, so that, that, that's, that's up there. If you've had problems with the RSS feed, that should solve it for you. And I've talked, a few people have gotten back with me and they said now it works uh, great. So anyway, glad to hear about that. But if you've been missing Sovereign Tech, you've been wondering, hey, where the hell are these episodes? How come they're not showing up in my uh, you know, podcast software or app of whatever kind? That's why, uh, but the problem is solved. So, all right, enough of that. <laughs> enough of that. Uh, let's talk a little bit about there was the the build conference which Microsoft held this week, and it was one hell of a conference, uh, in, in my opinion. This was this was almost, you know, it might be, and and I I could be, and obviously you know this none of this is DAPS uh, really, other than the fact that Visual Studio, which is in large part the bread and butter of Microsoft of programming for Windows, is now available on Linux. That blew my mind when I heard that. Okay, <laughs> I mean, the fact that there's a, a 64-bit Linux installer for Visual Studio and it's free, uh, just, yeah, just blew my mind. I, I didn't even, you know, <laughs> I tweeted about it. I said, I was like, make sure you read this a few times, you know, <laughs> Visual Studio on Linux. Uh, but anyway, so y you had that. Um, but yeah, b by and large, none of this is dApps yet. And of course, dApps meaning decentralized, anonymous privacy and security, meaning the software appeals to those four principles. Uh, you know, none of, not, none of this really does that. Uh, so, but they pretty much, you know, Microsoft announced at this that we're going to make, uh, you know, APIs available that can emulate a lot of what Android and iOS does so that people could easily uh, port their, you know, their apps for iOS or Android onto Windows 10. But then, of course, it's not just about it going onto Windows Phone 10. It's about them being universal apps and then being available on anything that runs Windows 10. Now, this is a big deal. And partly the reason that this is a big deal uh, is because I wonder how long it'll take before somebody pulls off. And this is the stuff you won't hear on, on most, you know, mainstream tech news till somebody pulls off much what uh, can be done with like so Chrome OS. Okay, you can run Android apps on Chrome OS. Uh, select ones initially, you know, only ones that have gone through this process and that Google allows for and whatever. But, uh, you know, again, it only works on Chrome OS. If you're using Chrome, the actual just the web browser, Google Chrome on, you know, on, on Linux or uh, on Windows or on Mac, it won't allow you to use those Android apps unless you do a little hack, a real hack. Okay. And then, you know, then you can run all these Android, you know, apps that are available for Chrome OS, but then also you can run all Android apps entirely. So I wonder, you know, how long will it take before somebody makes a hack, a real hack for Windows 10 that will just allow it to run Android apps anyway? you know, that they could just kind of be sideloaded or whatever uh, and have that operate. So that's that's a pretty big deal. And there's something about it I really like where it allows for and kind of the overarching point of build was clearly the idea that, OK, with Windows 8, we completely disregarded desktop and server. And so with Windows 10, we're going to remedy that. OK, but the interesting thing is that this universal apps, uh, you know, concept and the ability to run iOS and Android apps to a degree really allows for something that I find is very exciting, which that is getting, you know, getting off of the reliance on mobile for so many things. 
uh, you know, and getting back to the desktop and, and kind of putting, you know, putting a lot of these <laughs> notifications and instant communication kind of in, in its better in its place, maybe, uh, you know, because, yeah, I mean, with, with mobile, you're just like you never disconnect. You know, you never like, like turn your brain off or, or, or turn, you know, you never take a chance to really look inward as to where I think. And also the fact that mobile, it like, you know, it pretty much feeds the NSA. I mean, I'm not going to make the claim. Some people have made the claim and I understand and I can empathize with this. Some people have made the claim that, you know, some people feel that even using a smartphone, okay, or, you know, or using a lot of these different services like especially ones that aren't dApps, okay, you know, decentralized, anonymous, private, or, you know, or secure. Um, you know, if, you, if you're not doing that, that somehow you are feeding the system because you're giving information to the NSA or GCHQ or whoever. I wouldn't make that claim, okay, but I understand the point. But if you are that kind of person, then this makes, this can help make that a little more of reality because, you know, your laptop, your average laptop is not loaded with the, you know, 30 billion sensors that exist within a mobile device, which is very much feeding the surveillance state. That's a truth. Okay. I mean, that, that's a fact. So anything that helps people, you know, make the laptop a little more stronger, you know, and kind of, kind of get computing back, not, I don't want to say back in that direction, like backwards. Okay. Because technology is cyclical. So maybe this is a step forward going back to, you know, more of the, the laptop or the desktop as compared to people thinking it's a step backwards, you know, maybe mobile, you know, I've said this before a million times, I'll say it again. Okay. You know, the, the whole idea, you know, even, I mean, it is fine. I, you know, I can dig smartphones and I've defended them in the past and all that, you know, that that's all right. But let's, let's kind of be clear that these things, as much as everybody doesn't know how they could live without them, they've only been around at best a decade. Okay. At best, you know, in, in the, the functions that people are used to with them. And because of that, you know, I mean, 10 years, you know, a decade inside of, you know, how many thousands of years of human history? I mean, it's a pittance. It's not normal. <laughs> you know, there's nothing normal about it. Okay. So, you know, that just like some people say tablets are already dead, the iPads already dead and all this stuff. Well, I mean, that goes true for just about any technology is that it can all go by the wayside because it's only been around for so damn long, you know, and it's not long at all. Uh, so, you know, it's just, it's a way to consider, you know, I, I think in, in some ways that Microsoft is empowering, uh, you know, if you want to go down that route, that they are kind of empowering your ability to, you know, not rely upon mobile so much. So anyway, uh, you know, that, that, that's that as far as other things that build, they showed off the new Microsoft web browser, which is Microsoft edge. Uh, they're not calling it Spartan. That was the original name was project Spartan. Uh, but they're getting away from that. So anyway, uh, you know, and there's a new build of windows 10 out and whatever, apparently windows 10 will be out in July. And, and obviously, you know, as a tech journalist, uh, and as someone who has spent most of his life learning how to work on windows, uh, I will, you know, I'll definitely be testing it out. doesn't mean it's my favorite operating system. If I could redo history, I'd probably redo history. Okay. And I would have gotten much better. Uh, I mean, I'm pretty good with BSD and, and others that, you know, but I would have gotten a lot better with them. Uh, but regardless, so, you know, okay, real quick, like I always say, you know, just use what works, 
you know, definitely do that. That that's first and foremost is, is use what works. Um, not making a big defensive case here for, uh, for Microsoft. So, um, let's get into the other random access. Uh, this is something interesting. You know, we're talking about the game. We're talking about hypercronius. I haven't talked about, I used to talk about game news every episode, uh, but I'm going to bring up some game news here quick for you. Uh, and, and this is, this is to, just to give you a little bit of perspective on like with games, you know, how long it can take. Uh, for them to come out and how common, you know, a lot of times that these these pushbacks, these delays uh, are uh, mighty, num- mighty number nine, which is uh, was a uh, Ken Inufune. I, I think I got his name right. Anyway, he's the guy that made Mega Man. Uh, he did this huge, successful multi multi millions of dollars uh, uh, Kickstarter for a, a game because he can't get the rights from Capcom for Mega Man, but he still wants to make, you know, good Mega Man games. Uh you know, so he came up with this idea of Mighty Number no. Nine, and he looks a hell of a lot like Mega Man for for obvious reasons. Um, but it's gotten pushed back a couple times, and it was supposed to actually be out in April last month. Uh, now it's getting pushed back to September. Uh, I mean, so these guys, you know, when usually when when that's why you know when I said last week, I was like, hey, you know, <laughs> I know it's going to be a month out on uh, you know on, on with with Hypercronius, but believe me, in the software world, that's a really short period of time. <laughs> so. Anyway, either way, point being, you know, I, I really appreciate, uh, you know, everybody's patience with that. Um, but yeah, so Mighty Number no. 9 is coming. That's actually a game I'm pretty excited about. But the real interesting thing that's been happening is something else that I didn't like uh, that some people had asked about what I do with Hypercronius. And Hypercronius isn't like this large scale of a game to where I think this would even be plausible to do. OK, we'll talk more about that later. But Steam Early Access Okay, which is where you can create, you can essentially put up alpha versions or beta versions of your game. People can buy it and then they can help you do bug testing by by playing it or whatever. I hate the idea. I've talked about on Sovereign Tech many times. I think it's one of the worst. I love I love Valve, the company. Okay, and I love and I love Steam, not as much as I love God, but I love Steam. And you know, I, I always felt though this is like their worst idea they've ever had is this early access thing. Because it it essentially like there's no guarantee in the contract, not that I care much for contracts, but there's no guarantee in the contract that says that the game ever has to get finished, that it ever has to actually come out. And it's been a running joke because early access has been around for a couple of years, almost as long as or maybe longer than Sovereign Tech's been out there. And finally, in fact, a couple of them like Kerbal Space Program, finally, these games have come out as version ones as, you know, as official uh, releases. So, you know, I, 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 making hypercronius, I have a really, I have a real new, in fact, I did a blog post about it today. Uh, you can go to the Zog blog at zog.ninja to read about, to read it. Um, but I have a real new respect for what it takes to develop a game. So I'm not necessarily knocking some of these people. Okay. But let's be clear. I didn't, you know, when I was making hypercronius, I mean, I, it took me a long time to work out bugs too. That's the bulk of, that was the holdup largely. Okay. Um, I, you know, I didn't take anybody's money to do it. Okay. And I'm not saying my, I mean, Hypercronius isn't some kind of triple a game or whatever, but then most of these aren't either. <laughs> I mean, they'll just, it seems like they'll put up just about anything. Uh, but anyway, like Kerbal space program, you know, that that's made tons of money, gotten tons of press already. And it was never, you know, version one just came out in the, like the past week. That game has existed since 2011. It took four years. I think that's nuts. Like, I I really, I think that's crazy for early access games to be early access that long. You should not be collecting money um, over that period. In my opinion, you got a done product, put the product out there and then you sell it. 
Okay. I mean, there's something to be said when you're doing like, I mean, when I, this is more to do with games, certainly, you know, a lot of these crowd funds to make like, like react OS, they're doing a crowd fund, you know, or made safe did a crowd fund. Okay. Things like that. That makes sense. I mean, we're talking about, you know, like, <laughs> I mean, you're, you know, you're changing the way computing gets done in a very real sense. That's, that's a very different story. But when we're just talking about art, which games are, uh, I, yeah, I think you should deliver the art, deliver the goods. Like I said, first, and then collect the check, uh, you, you know, that, but I, not everybody sees, uh, sees things that way. So a little update, let's, let's do this real quick. Uh, last bit of, uh, of random access, a little update, uh, ripple is apparently working. We, we talked about ripple last week and how I feel that largely what we see happening in some of these altcoins and also with ripple, uh, you know, ripple being kind of an altcoin uh you could see end up working you know may end up being in the future of bitcoin and that we should be aware of that and be looking out for you know the early signs of this sort of thing um but ripple obviously jumped the shark a long time ago but they really jumped the shark last week you can listen to last week's episode of, uh, of sovereign tech to find out more about that okay but uh this week they announced that they're going to work with western union and <laughs> i mean <laughs> How much more in the system, how much, ba how much more backwards can you go, you know, than to like, oh yeah, let's go work with Western Union, you know, and it just shows that like, you know, if Western Union is comfortable with Ripple, that must mean that Ripple has a whole hell of a lot of control over the funds getting transferred. Otherwise, Western Union would not be comfortable with putting what they feel is their reputation and namesake on it. Okay, so keep an eye, you know, sometimes when these big companies start accepting this stuff, especially other money transmitters, I think some people get excited about these things, but maybe it's not worth getting excited about because you have to consider what is that company's attitude like Western Union and why would they be comfortable in doing something? Now, some people will say, well, look, you know, Western Union saw the writing on the wall. They see that cryptocurrencies, uh, you know, are going to put an end to their business model, blah, 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 blah. Maybe or maybe. They finally could put their name on something that gives them the level of control that they want. Myself, I believe the latter. Okay. And I think there's proof to that. And that proof we talked about last week when one of the co-founders couldn't even sell off his ripple, his, you know, his XRP or whatever the hell. So anyway, uh, that that's it for, for the random access. We've got a, a hell of a story uh, to get into this week. And it has to do with one of my favorite companies, sarcasm google and this story is from marketing magazine future google robots might behave like deceased loved ones hmm. and of course we know google has bought uh was it boston dynamics or something like that i think i got that right that that one with that really creepy like horse or mule style uh robot that like doesn't get knocked down very easily and can run very fast and so, sort of headless. <laughs> uh, so they've definitely had an interest in robotics for some time. Uh, but let's read the, some of the story here and then we'll, we'll comment on it. Google has patented a system for creating different robot personalities based on a user's preferences, habits, or disturbingly, they're dead family members. The patent filing outlines a method by which a robot could scan a user's device to determine to determine the best personality to assume. That might be based on how the user types, their context, or even their mood. Or, according to the filing, a robot might take on a real-world persona. The patent states, quote, The robot may be programmed to take on the personality of real-world people. Example, behave based on a user 
on the user, a deceased loved one, a celebrity, and so on, so as to take on character traits of people to be emulated by a robot. End quote. Sounds very much like the movie Her, right? Uh, moving on. Naturally, the personality can be dictated by the user, so it's unlikely a future Google robot will start imitating a deceased ant without permission or warning. And just because Google has been awarded a patent doesn't necessarily mean a new product is in the works. Creepy as it may seem, the idea isn't too far off what tech firms already do with their existing voice assistants on mobile. For example, Microsoft's Cortana, quote unquote, learns about a user's contacts, habits and schedule and shows information accordingly. Other robot personas suggested by Google include Woody Allen to reflect, quote, happiness, surprise, fear, perplexion, end quote, or Rodney Dangerfield uh, for, quote, thoughtfulness or derision, end quote. The patent also states that a robot's personality may be uploaded to the cloud and downloaded across different devices. Conspiracy theorists will note that Google's Nexus range of Android smartphones appear to be inspired by the Nexus 6 Androids from Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, a Philip K. Dick's sci-fi novel that explores the real versus the synthetic. And of course, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep is the book that the movie Blade Runner uh, was based on. In fact, a lot of people said, this is an interesting point to bring up here. A lot of people said that Google wouldn't create a Nexus 6. They wouldn't call it the Nexus 6 because of the concern, the popular concern that, you know, it would be named after uh, like Roy Batty or, or, you know, whoever in, um, you know, in, in Blade Runner or in Do Android's Dream of Electric Sheep. Uh, but they went ahead and did it anyway. So now, yes, it's absolutely true. You know, you see a headline like that. Obviously, of course, you know, it's meant to get clicks and all this business and it's not a terribly long story. Okay. Uh, but I think there's things to consider. Okay. With all of this. And yes, it's important to realize it's just a patent. Sometimes patents, you know, the way the patent system works, it's really a, you know, you just, you want to be there before everybody else is. It's a protectionist thing. And a lot of people make a ton of money off of patents that they are never going to develop. They just want to sue somebody or collect money from someone that actually does develop what they patented. And, you know, and then they don't have to do any work for it. Okay. It's very commonplace. And so the fact that Google put out the patent does not, it's, it's true. It does not mean that they're actually going to develop something, uh, you know, that will resemble your deceased loved one in any way, shape or form. Okay. But, uh, let's go down that road a little bit. Let's say they were planning on developing that suddenly. Cause I, <laughs> I'll admit to you a pretty scary picture can get painted here. Okay. <laughs> I mean, how much information does Google collect about you? Uh, you know, there was a book that came out, boy, this is back in 2007, 2008, maybe, uh, that was a new, was it numerati? I think the name of the book was, and in that book, uh, they largely talk about how, you know, all everything is, you know, a lot of these companies are looking to just how can they predict what you're going to do next. And normally people thought that all that just meant, and even the book kind of discussed it, that it just meant that, uh, you know, so they knew what to sell you. So they knew what you needed. Okay. Kind of like how target knows when you need diapers, you know, target knows there was that story, how target knew that a woman was pregnant before she knew. Okay. <laughs> just based on like her buying history 
and and whatever else. Okay, but something else that this book discussed a little bit is the potential of you getting replaced. Now, in the book, it was just talking about, you know, replacing you at your job. You know, if you're really good at it, you know, this way you, we could automate machines better, uh, you know, to do things based upon the best workers and their best attitudes and platitudes and all that. But something about this can't help but bring up memories of a classic tale known as Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Now, please, I'm just having some fun with this. OK, <laughs> but when you consider the amount of money Google has, the amount of information they have about everybody, uh, you know, some a little bit of concern over this is not unfounded. For a multitude of reasons, you know, could you get replaced? Uh, you know, that's a possibility. What happens, you know, like like what happens to the human condition when people uh, you know, like when your loved one dies, but then you just replace it with, you know, kind of like in the movie Her, where people were literally falling in love with their operating systems because the operating systems could, you know, knew what you wanted and and all this had all this information about you or could even, you know, act like, uh, you know, someone from your past or whatever. Uh, all of that very much becomes a reality. But what happens with, you know, when when people now believe me, I think one day humanity is going to crack you know, this problem of death. Okay. Said it many times on sovereign tech, nothing is certain, not even death and taxes. And so I think we'll crack that at some point, but what happens when something really tragic does occur and an OS or an algorithm or some, you know, some bit of software or a robot comes in and takes the place of that person. Do you ever get to process the trauma of what occurred, the humanity of what occurred, even if the action that brought it on was a very inhuman one. And this is my concern, is that when you create these things, uh, you know, I've talked so much about, you know, the, the, the what I consider a lot of the problems with Google collecting so much data. Okay. I'm not going down, down that. I'm not going to talk about that right now, but let's just consider that if we can just have, I mean, we, you know, people talk all the time about, Oh, oh it's the age of distraction. Everybody's distracted from something. Nobody's living in the moment anymore. You know, they're too busy looking at Facebook when they're sitting on the beach and, you know, things like this. And, and, you know, there was a time where I didn't give that any credit. Now I give that a lot of credit. I think it's very true. People are losing touch with reality and with humanity. And yes, they are losing touch with reality because what you are seeing other people doing on social media isn't real life. It's a curated version of that person. It's a rock star version. And even rock stars aren't the, aren't the people you expect them to be. I know that. So my concern is, is that this, this extreme high level is going to, you know, extreme high level of, of impersonation and where we even where maybe we have robots. I know Google might not do it. I'm just saying if we, if they did, where you could have robots that replace your loved ones, that the potential for people to never deal with anything in, you know, in reality, to, to never deal with reality. Oh, I worry about that. Now, at the same time, certainly I could see it as being a, ver um, you know, I could see it as being uh, a tremendous 
you know, avenue for working through traumas, because maybe you could have a robot of your parents and that could help you, you know, work through and understand what's going on, you know, what happened to you in your childhood. And you could do, you know, tremendous uh, role plays to, you know, to figure out, you know, a lot of a lot of what's, you know, what's happening in deep inside of you. OK, I know that that's there. But, you know, th- there's other ways that that could be done. One of the technologies I'm really excited about is virtual reality and augmented reality. Okay, and that has kind of the similar similar aspects to it, too. But I think I think what what doesn't rub me so wrong about virtual reality is just that it's just that it's virtual. It's not necessarily something you feel or touch. We're not talking about hard light holograms like something from Red Dwarf. And so just. You know, the the, the fact that that something so real, I, I just I, I worry that people will do that. And, you know, maybe at some point. I mean, who knows how much is going to get lost out of the human condition, you know, from that, from that sort of thing. I'm not, this isn't techno panic. This is nothing like that. All I'm saying is, is that if this is real, because it's a pretty good chance it never will be. Okay. But if this is real, let's consider the implications of this. Let's consider the fact, look, people right now, as much as I hate it, and believe me, I I don't know many other people that hate it as much as I do. Okay. People do die and we have to process the fact that they do and replacing that person with a robot is not processing that trauma. That's a problem. Because you are going to get out of touch with reality. Gravity will always knock you on your ass. There is an objective reality. And it's something we need to work through to make the real the real growth that it takes you know, to give freedom for ourselves, you know, and, and even in the life outside of us. So I don't like the fact that there's a company out there that can very, probably very much, you know, emulate. Uh, it, it'll be interesting to, to, to see what that looks like. Of course, in the end of the day, maybe I feel like, you know, and I've said this many times that you can't, there's some things you can't code about the human condition and that that person, you know, will not act uh, you know, exactly like your, your loved one. I just think we need to face things as they are. And having technology either dumb down, replace, or keep us from accepting reality is a scary prospect. You know, Leo Laporte said uh, a great quote that I love He said, we keep looking at all these screens to keep us from remembering that we're going to die because, you know, those posts on Facebook seem to be immortal. Well, how about we concentrate on the fact that death is something that could happen? And maybe if we concentrate on that being a reality, maybe we'll be uh, pushed, you know, incentivized to put an end to it, to come up with technologies, not that mimic our lost or, you know, our lost loved ones, but technologies that keep them from dying in the first place. And yeah, then there's the whole invasion of the body snatchers thing, right? Ooh, that could get creepy. Anyway, likely this isn't going to happen, but you should know that it's possible. I'll be back with more. Hypercronius. Hey, 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 it's out. It's done. It's not coming. It's here. It's, it's live. It exists. Go to Zog.Ninja. Buy it. Yeah, cool.
<laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you. If you'll excuse me. Uh, you're not Natalia. Who are you? Oh, hello, Mr. Sovereign. Natalia is on another mission. I'm Elizabeth. I'm here to debrief you. I'd love for you to debrief me, but, uh, how did you get in my room? The bellboy let me in. Well, hooray for the bellboy. Tech Roulette. It is time for Tech Roulette where I cover the stories that get sent to me through the various channels available. Uh, of course, really, the best channel is if you go to zog.ninja, zomiofflinegames.com, sovereigntech.ninja. It's all the same website. Okay, if you, go to, if you go there, there's a Contact Us tab. And right there, there's a form. You don't have to have a Twitter account. You don't have to have a Google, Plus, a Google account. You don't have to have a Facebook account. You don't have to have an email account. You don't have to have anything. And you don't have to put in any information unless you do want me to get back in touch with you. Then an email address would help. Okay. And you can send me, uh, you know, links. You could send me whatever you want uh, through that. It is absolutely the best way for me uh, to, you know, to, to get your messages. And we're going to get to some of those that have been sent through that venue uh, in a little bit. But believe me, it works great. The sites, Zog.Ninja is totally, it, it survived Mobilegeddon, where Google strong-armed its way. Uh, you know, into into, you know, making sure that people were were pushing, uh, you know, having mobile sites, uh, you know, mobile, really well done mobile sites for whatever website they have running. Otherwise, they were going to get pushed to the back of the line in search. I think that's bullshit. OK, <laughs> I don't I don't like that, that that kind of strong arming. OK, but at the same time. I survived it so you can use that form uh, right from your smartphone if you want to, it's the best way to get in touch with me. So, uh, so I don't, I mean, I'm on Twitter, I'm on all those, you know, all those areas too, but of course, uh, you know, that, that's just how I prefer it. Um, you know, before I get into this week's story, we've got a, we've got a great one. Um, I want to just lay out a little more, uh, on that last subject. Okay. And that is, is that effectively this is trying to create a, uh, not, not, maybe not so much an AI, but something pretty close, or at least something that runs off of an algorithm that's supposed to mimic uh, humanity. You know, my overall concern with a lot of this is actually the human element. Okay. Uh, in fact, you know, it's funny, speaking of Google, and this, this, is, this is the key, maybe the most key point to consider about Google, you know, wanting to, to make, uh, you know, operating systems or algorithms or software or apps that act like people, is that Sergey Brin one of the co-founders of Google, him and Larry Page, admitted that he should have never done Google Plus because he's kind of weird. He doesn't have social skills. So he wasn't the best guy to be creating a social network where you're supposed to be interacting with everybody on planet Earth. Consider that for a moment. In fact, I want you to consider that in just about any, uh, you know, anything that's really broad in scope. Uh, you know, t take your some blockchain technologies, perhaps, uh, you know, I mean, go down the list of it. If it's something that's supposed to somehow, you know, think of BitNation, iNation, I don't know, whatever, take t any of these projects that are supposed to somehow replace the way that humans interact with each other. Okay. You know, to address it on a global scale, look at the coders. And you tell me about their social skills. I'm not insulting them. Okay. I've been there. I used to be a really quiet guy. All right. I did nothing wrong with that. 
I'm just saying that if we're if we're having the people creating these technologies, if they can't even, you know, regularly interact with their next door neighbor. Or people right in front of them. uh, I wonder about having them program the, the foundations of human trade and interaction. Just a thought. So anyway, talking about some very human things here, uh, I've got, I get to talk about one of my favorite topics. And of course that's sex. (laughs) Uh, This part of it may not necessarily be my favorite, but we're going to get into porn. Now porn is something maybe you don't think that has any place on a tech show. I totally disagree. I think that eroticism, uh, sex in general, really, in every way, shape, and form, has thrusted technology forward. It is largely the reason for communication mediums. I mean, it's it's it, it's pushed it all. Okay, <laughs> it may be even the reason that there's walls. All right, <laughs> one of the first inventions, right? Uh, so it is very much it has a lot to do with technology. And porn is an industry, and this is what I want to talk about. Porn is an industry that has been affected by the internet by, you know, a lot of the technological advancements as late in ways that I don't think most people realize because most people think that, Oh, you know, what's that old song? The internet is for porn, right? And all this stuff. Well, it is, you know, I I think a case could be made for that for, for a lot of people. Okay. But at the same time, it's, it may also be its destroyer. And so I want to talk about this. There was an interesting article. This article actually came from the lovely and hyper-intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy. And it's from Thought Catalog. Getting screwed at the AVN Awards, a journey into the American porno dream. Now, the AVN Awards, of course, is kind of the uh, the Grammys or the Oscars uh, for the porn industry, often held or you know mainly held in Las Vegas. The red carpet at the annual AVN Porn Awards is in full swing, even though it looks like a a stage still being set. For some reason, I'd imagine such an event would take place outdoors. Porno queens uh, gliding by in glittering dresses, waving as trade journalists snap photos amidst some palm tree studded backdrop. But in 2015, in reality, the red carpet spans to bet. spans two back rooms in the Hard Rock Hotel with all the ambiance of an affordable gym. Security workers in black T-shirts push dollies full of unidentifiable electrical equipment through the crowd, complaining that the hotel should have already cleared the area. A blonde starlet is nearly run over as she steps off the red carpet, caught up in her own clutter, calling out to fellow porn stars, stay, class, stay classy, eat pussy. Off to the side, there's a makeshift bar, and those of us with press badges have been encouraged to mingle with the stars before the awards begin. Almost immediately, an aging actress... Uh, in an orange gown is advising me, quote, honey, there's one lesson to learn in this life. And it's this sex is about business, not love. End quote. She can tell me this, she says, because she, quote, sees me. She gets it. She knows what kind of girl I am. And this is being written by Rachel White. Sex is about business, not love. It sticks in your head. A psalm, a mantra. What happens here? Uh, Etc. Quote, Vegas, remember nothing, end quote, commanded the ads at the airport, selling us Las Vegas after after we'd already landed there. AVN, the adult video news, is the industry trade publication that sponsors the award show every year. This is the 32nd show, quote, mingling with the stars, end quote. I thought it might be interesting to ask how many more years they thought the AVN would last. 
But then, hanging around the bar, all of us women dressed up, it was hard not to make small talk to feed off the anticipatory high for the coming event. Quote, we have an eight ball we're trying to get rid of, end quote, said one star, perched next to me on a tiny table. Quote, do you want it? End quote. I went to ask my boyfriend, who I'd managed to get a press pass for, about the coke, and found him talking to the gay male blogger from Jezebel. Quote, oh my God, please buy the coke so I can write that thought catalog, uh, bought coke from porn stars, end quote, said Jezebel, recorder in hand. I was determined to stay up for these supposed uh, sex parties that happened after the award show, but we were beginning to unravel... Uh, which seemed to be the hand Vegas deals everyone. Quote, just expel all of the money, expel all of it, end quote. My boyfriend joked as we winded through casino after casino. Oxygen pumped through the filtration systems to make us all high, and the lack of natural light coaxed us into a constant nocturnal state. And that is, you know, Golden Stallion breaking in here. That's a fact, okay? <laughs> That's marketing ambiance at its finest in las vegas in fact stephanie and i uh we've been to las vegas a couple times now i guess and i mean you know not not fans <laughs> okay not fans at, at all uh, of of the city so uh let me read on here a bit overall the story and this is a really long story so i'm not going to read uh the whole thing but the sense that you get is that the porn industry is very much dying like and and that initial read is that how the AVNs which is supposed to be this incredibly glamorous night w- is a sham. Like it's people convincing other people, oh, this is a big deal. This is like our Oscars. This is like this and that. Okay, I'm gonna read just one more paragraph here that kind of kind of cuts to the chase. Uh, there, but there's a lot to to grasp, you know, with this. And then, uh, I you know, I've got a lot of commentary to say about this. At the expo earlier. I interviewed James Dean, male mega porn star, and found him to be a bit obstinate. I tried to ask about piracy, that is piracy of, you know, torrenting, downloading uh, porn movies and not paying for them, in the long gone era of new girls making 30 grand a month, about seven figure porn contracts. And he asked what I meant. And did anyone really think those days were going to last forever? And then he went back to what he wanted to talk about, his many new ventures. Quote, you know, I'm more than just a dick, uh, end quote, he said, gesturing toward a wall of James Dean dildos. Quote, yeah, end quote, said my boyfriend when I told him this afterward. Quote, you should have said, you're not just a dick, you're an asshole, end quote. <laughs> uh, so anyway, the, the point, the overall, the, the arching point of this article and again, it's really, really lengthy. I, I like I'd be reading it for the whole show. Is that uh, the, the you know, the, this glamorous notion that porn makes tons of money. Now, some people still do. OK, but that porn makes tons of money is is gone. It's completely gone. And, the you know, the reason being is the Internet. OK, and so let me give a little bit of history. So now myself. I don't know how much information I want to give away, but I lived in Van Nuys for a little while. And I lived in Van Nuys, be, you know, because I had some uh, some family there and that family. Was involved in the porn industry. OK, uh, you know, most of my most of my family is not, but there is that little segment uh, that is in California. And so I've been on porn sets. I've seen 
uh, the, you know, what all, how all that works. Now, granted, this was, you know, shy of a decade ago. So things have changed quite a bit, but let me describe to you what it was like back then. Back then in the porn industry, yes, people were making, and this is, this is when the internet was able to get taken advantage of. This is kind of pre BitTorrent. Okay. Uh, you know, to, to where like video had to be, you know, streamed from expensive servers and all this stuff. You couldn't be just be downloading videos for free. And in large part, the actual, a lot of the money was really made, not even on the video. It was made on picture sets because that was the bulk of what was, you know, readily uh, accessible by, you know, anybody sitting at home on their computer, you know, baud modems are still a big deal. Okay. Um, and so you had, I mean, like the production sets, you had full on sets, you had gigantic warehouses. This was uh, DVDs were kind of at their height and there was lots of DVDs all over the place. Um, there was fluffer couches. In fact, that was one of the things that really turned me off is literally there's a woman, there's a woman just, you know, I mean, completely drugged up, unfortunately, in the back of the set who's just there to get fucked. So a guy that's about to go on set to perform a scene can get his dick hard, you know, and ready to go because he's going to have to do a whole bunch of, you know, foreplay or whatever. And, uh, you know, these guys often for multitudes of reasons, some of them being, you know, drugs and whatever else, uh, lifestyle in general, have a hard time getting it up. Drinking, you take your pick. I mean, I, it's stuff I've talked about on Sovereign Tech before, you know, whiskey dicks, stoner boner. Okay. Even cigarettes can affect the blood vessels of your penis and can keep it from, from getting up. It's a fact. So it's very like, like everybody, you're just, you're on, you're on the porn set and granted, you know, I think most people realize that porn isn't real, even though uh, most young people, obviously it's their first exposure uh, to sex because society's just so goddamn afraid of talking about sex at any given moment, uh, especially with, you know, with, with little ones around uh, that, you know, that's the first thing they see. And so every, but everybody thinks, you know, okay, this is how it is. So a lot of people do see, you know, porn is like, okay, this is how we have sex. But then most people do realize, yeah, that's not real life. Uh, because, you know, especially when you look at some of the very violent porn that's out there, I hope people realize that that isn't real life. Uh, maybe they do. Maybe that is something that turns them on. And they, you know, and then certainly like we earlier, we were talking about working through traumas. I think you've got some traumas to work through. But you really don't notice, like, in fact, all that kind of crazy stuff that you see get done, you know, in porns. And believe me, there's there's good porn and there's bad porn. Porn can be done in very right ways. There's like a site, Passion HD. There's a whole bunch of them. There's uh, there's porn that can be done in very, you know, very wrong ways. OK, but the whole scene, the whole porn scene is a reality distortion field. None of it is real. None of it. In fact, anytime, you know, this is an interesting thing. I think most people realize this, but I'll just lay this out for you. Most people don't know. California has some very unique laws. There's one law. I think it's called Law 2257. Okay, this isn't in the story. This is me telling you this. And Law 2257 says that if you are getting, if you are in a video that is getting put out by a distributor, okay, you have to sign a contract and you have to be made aware that you are in that video before it ever gets distributed. So any of these celebrity sex tapes, any of these, you know, sex tapes of any kind that people get all flustered about, that's all marketing because they knew it was going to get out. They could have refused it. They, you know, if they didn't sign that paper that said it was going to go out, law 2257 says it's not going to get out there. So that's bullshit for one. For two, if you went onto a porn set, and today it's very different, but if you went onto a porn, and not in a good way, if you went onto a porn set, you would see just how non-lifelike 
that sex really is because they're doing cuts after cuts after cuts where, you know, the guy, you know, halfway through the sex scene has to come and they'll have him come. Uh, you know, he's not like, he's literally not fucking for an hour. That's the thing, you know, that's another thing too. I mean, not to say there's anything wrong with fucking for an hour. I enjoy it. You know, hell I enjoy longer. I'm just saying that everybody thinks they have to perform to that level. Look, these guys don't perform to that level. They're done like 10 minutes in and then they're just making it look good. They hit the fluffer couch with the woman who doesn't even know what room she's in or what day it is. And there used to be like really big production sets that they, that they'd have and all that. But let me tell you how it's changed today. And it is again, because of the internet and I'll explain more uh, why that is. Okay. In just a minute. But now as this story will highlight and as many other could tell you, now it's all generally being, except for some very, like the, there's the movie pirates and there's that new movie, Dawn of justice coming out, you know, that's like a superhero porn and all that stuff. Um, other than those, those, those exceptions to the rule. Now, most porn is done in people's homes. Okay. Like they're all turned into makeshift. Uh, I mean, and, and it's been done that way before. That's not necessarily something new, but point being, there's no more money. There's no more money for sets. There's no more money for any of that stuff. Uh, it's all being done, you know, like, like in just in, in sometimes in literal shanties or just in the producers, you know, happens to have a mansion or something. Like it's crazy, uh, what's going on. And in fact, a lot of, a lot of times, you know, these, these extreme sex scenes or like bang bus or something like that. They're not doing that because it's hot or because it's cool or something like that. They're doing that because those fucks don't, you know, they don't have enough creativity to make enough money to be able to afford an actual porn set. So you know where and and now the thing that actually brought this to mind and the reason i think that stephanie like shared this article with me was i was talking i said you know i've noticed and i don't watch porn really okay but i've noticed that a lot of women today like there's not a lot of fake breasts going around in in, in porn with a lot of these uh you know a lot of these quote unquote uh you know porn stars and of course if you actually ask uh, a real porn star, they'll tell you there's only a few actual porn stars. There's lots of porn actors, but there's only a few stars. Think like Lisa Ann. She's a porn star. And so, like I was saying, what brought this to my mind was, yeah, I noticed that a lot of women, you know, they didn't have fake breasts anymore. And I came to this realization and, and not even just like fake breasts, but there's like this big push where, you know, maybe they, they don't even like, uh, you know, I, I don't dig, you know, I'm not one. I don't like makeup. I don't like painted stuff or even, you know, jewelry is, doesn't necessarily do anything for me. It's fine if you like it. That's OK. I'm not, I'm not saying that it's, uh, you know, it's just not my thing. But I was, you know, thinking back, you know, in the 90s, like when these women got in front of the when when women got in front of the camera in the 90s. They really like, I mean, they came on uh, like they were, you know, queens of the world. You know, I mean, they're dressed to the nines, you, you, you know, whatever term you want to use. And I said, boy, that doesn't happen anymore. Like nobody does that anymore. And I think some people want to push it as like this kind of amateur thing or whatever. And again, it's just like with Bang Brothers or Bang Bus or Bang Brothers, whatever, where I, I think it's no, it's just they don't have the money. They can't even afford the fake tits anymore. Because there's no more money in that scene. And it's true. I've seen some interviews recently 
or heard interviews, I should say, where, you know, I've talked to porn stars in a really great porn career in 2001. Guess how many movies a woman would do in 2001? If she had like a really long, she was just, you know, she was past the porn age, getting closer to 40 or whatever. Uh, and, and she, you know, a real porn star, very famous, had done a lot. Guess how many movies generally like our great career is 60. You talk to some 19 year olds now. And some of them have done, you know, like 80 in a year. By the time five years later, some of them have done like nearly a thousand scenes. Because the pay isn't there. There's no glamour left in the porn world, maybe in a couple spots. But even that is just exceptionally rare. There's no glamour to be had. And this is largely, and this is what I wanted to, you know, in many ways talk with you about. Okay. This is largely due to not that people are, are, you know, are just disgusted with porn and they're not buying it anymore. It has nothing to do with that. People are consuming more porn than they ever have. They're just not paying for it. Okay. And this is because of, you know, very much it's BitTorrent. You know, a lot of people think that the Internet is what got everybody hooked on porn and all that stuff. And maybe some of that is very true. But the irony is, is they should have been supporting BitTorrent and all these things. If you're somebody who does not like porn, you should be, you know, you should be sending money to BitTorrent Inc. in Silicon Valley. Because they're killing the very industry you hate. It's true. They can't recover from it. Like nobody's paying for this stuff uh, anymore. And, you know, you'll get these porn stars who start getting into the whole notion. It's like, well, this is why we need intellectual property. You people are stealing from me when you download my work and all that stuff. And when you listen to them, they make very convincing arguments, not about the IP thing, but just the notion that somehow because you didn't pay for that porn, uh, you're, you know, you're stealing their uh, work. And really, in the end, you know, what that's all about is that, you know, it's the music industry is running into the same thing. Uh, The movie industry, all these industries are running into the same uh, exact issue. Okay, And it's it all boils down to not that necessarily that people are stealing. It boils down to the fact that these industries aren't innovating at all. How did the MPAA fight, you know, uh, uh, piracy? They made better movies. (laughs) Really? That's it. Okay. They were complaining. Oh my God. Profits are down. Profits are down. And then they released like the fourth Pirates of the Caribbean movie and it did gangbusters, you know, or they came out with a new Transformers movie or whatever. The trick is, is that people will pay for content. You just got to give them really great content. But there's just an extreme lack of creativity in most of these fields. That's the real issue. Because I was a little worried because I think some people are feeling like, oh, my God, you know, they're doing like the porn stars, even people that support porn, you know, porn and that like porn. Okay, you know, they're like, well, yeah, I got to give them money, you know, but no one else is paying for whatever. Look, give people an experience. okay, that, you know, that BitTorrent uh, can't capture. Whatever. You know, get get involved in virtual reality. I mean, there's ways to do it, but you just you've got to innovate or embrace, you know, BitTorrent. And use it as maybe your distribution model or whatever. 
Um, I, I really, I don't, cause I, I, you know, pe- people get worried about this, that all, you know, all that's crumbling or whatever, but I think you just got to really give people what they want and that'll solve the problem. Okay. But it's true. It, it's absolutely true. I think the perceptions out there that somehow the internet, uh, you know, is, is, uh, you know, is, is pushing porn forward. It's destroying society, blah, 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 all this crap, which, you know, like I said, there's good porn, there's bad porn. Okay. Um, but no, that it's quite the opposite. It's actually destroying that entire, that entire industry. And so I wanted that, you know, that, that perception to get out there. Um, but for me, it also brings up the point of what I consider the future or at least the, the near future of the modern economy. And that is uh, PWYW pay what you want. This is something people need to explore quite a bit. Okay. Uh, you know, this, this notion of pay what you want in that, if you know, if, if people really, you know, you've got to just deliver something that good. And if they appreciate it, uh, they will give you money for it. Okay. I have, you know, there's Patreon, which is incredibly exciting. Um, you know, the porn industry isn't embracing pay what you want. And I'd be interested to see how it would work if they did. You know, they're even like now they're some of them are trying subscription models like Netflix. Look, that doesn't solve the, you know, your, your, pro, their problem. Okay. I'm not saying it's a problem. I'm just saying that's not solving their problem because I don't pay for Netflix, but I can, you know, I can watch any show on Netflix that's there. Not that I would. I mean, like House of Cards, I, I couldn't care less about, about half those shows. So, you know, if you want to, you know, a lot of these companies, I mean, this this technology, you know, the technology that's out there, okay, again, people have skewed perceptions of what it's actually doing. In large part, a lot of it is killing entire industries, okay? And the only way to solve it is really to, you know, to innovate, there, there's, there's no, there's no way to, to get around, you know, there's no, no argument of oh you're stealing from me and all that stuff. Uh, while nobody complains about the government taxing them, it doesn't hold water. Porn stars embracing Bitcoin has been huge because some porn stars like in California are getting their bank accounts seized and they're running to Bitcoin. Bitching and moaning about, you know, some of this stuff. There's, there's technologies that are worth complaining about. And then there's other ones where, no, stop complaining about it. You're just not embracing it. You're not taking it forward to its logical conclusion or you're not innovating. So my end game here is simply to say that the porn industry is incredibly lazy. It really, in large part, doesn't deserve anyone's money. Because it won't innovate and because it's putting such uncreative bullshit out there. What do they expect? Don't feel bad for them. All they have to do is step up. I mean, especially porn. I mean, because that's already so underground and seedy. I mean, they could use like I I can only imagine the wonders uh, and (laughs) hopefully no one will get mad for me saying this, but I'd love to see what the porn industry could, you know, make use of made safe. <laughs> you know, my, my favorite, most exciting technology to come, uh, you know, what, what could they do with that? Uh, or imagine like relocalized porn, you know, with, um, you know, using, uh, Usenet 
or even a BBS style system, things like that. I mean, there, there's a lot of possibilities out there, but these people don't want to think this stuff through. And there's just this huge cultural narrative and everybody's telling each other that that narrative still exists, that, you know, the porn industry is huge. And if we are losing money, that it's, you know, it's because of the internet and, it, you know, and whatever else. And when it's true, but again, the, the false narrative is that somehow, uh, you know, the, the internet through with porn is like destroying society in some fashion. No, it's not destroying society. It's destroying porn. You know, I mean, there's some truth to that, but just, you got it. You have to innovate. You have to keep on top of these things. You have to pay attention to what's going on. You got to be educated. That's the only solution there. I mean, cause there's certainly hell no, no porn industry is going to get any laws, you know, any laws passed on anything. Okay. So, and actually, you know, I know some listeners of this show uh, are in the porn industry. And so I, you know, please take this to heart. You know, I support, uh, you know, the base level of what porn is. Believe me, I support there's aspects of it. I don't. Okay. But listen to this and, and, you know, glean some ideas, see what's being done wrong and, you know, run with it and just, you know, learn from, from the, the decay that is the California porn industry. Anyway, I'll be back with more. This is Sovereign Tech. now for 90 seconds on sex with dr paul to understand what the hymen is it helps to know the difference between a woman's vulva and her vagina now if you're looking between a woman's legs you'll see a landing strip a clitoris and outer and inner labia or lips this area is called the vulva further inside is the vagina it's made of a different type of tissue so the hymen is a ring of tissue that rises up where the vulva meets the vagina. Now before puberty, the hymen stretches across the opening of the vagina. But once puberty begins and the hymen starts receiving estrogen, its walls become shorter and more elastic. And it starts to look a little like the stargate with all the amazing things that are on the other side. Now, assuming the hymen is normal, it's puberty rather than a woman's first lover that causes the hymen to change. If a hymen does tear or bleed during a first intercourse, it's often because it hasn't received enough estrogen, or the woman wasn't aroused enough, or her lover's somewhat clumsy, or really big. So forget the idea that a woman's cherry pops during her first intercourse, because there usually is no cherry to pop. And just to be on the safe side, it's a great idea for a woman to visit a gynecologist before her first intercourse. For more, visit 90secondsonsex.com. I just received an encrypted message from Decentral with your next mission, and it looks like I'm coming along. Why, Elizabeth, I wouldn't have it any other way. You're clearly good at staying on top of things. It helps when one's partner is very skilled. No, no, we can have more fun later. What does the message say? Important Messages. It is time for Important Messages, where I cover the emails, messages, you know, there's bit message, there's all kinds of ways to get in touch with the show uh, that gets sent to me. And we got a few uh, to get through here. I don't know if I'm going to get through all of them. Last week, the whole... (laughs) 
The whole second half of the episode was uh, all important messages, but people really seemed uh, to appreciate that. I got a lot of heat about my thoughts on Bitcoin, thinking that what's happening with Ripple, you know, could and probably will happen to Bitcoin. Uh, you know, I'm sharing my opinion. I am laying out the possibilities uh, with you. I still love the idea of cryptocurrencies. OK, I still, you know, blockchain technology is still a very interesting thing. Uh, I'm definitely looking at the technologies that are taking that to the next level that are beyond blockchain technology. OK, those are exciting. But, you know, don't don't confuse me. Uh, <laughs> OK, and I'll, you know, from time to time, I will still bring it up. Um, but just, you know, largely what's going on in that space is incredibly uninteresting. You know, I, there are stories about what's happening in other countries uh, with Bitcoin, like in Argentina and all this stuff. We talked about how just now how it saved, um, you know, how it saved some porn stars in California. Fantastic. I am so glad that that happened. Okay. My main concern, I just want to make this real clear. My main concern with Bitcoin, I'm not saying don't use it. I'm not saying it's unethical to use it or something like that. That's ridiculous. Okay. I'm just saying stop preaching about it like it's going to save the whole planet. Stops, you know, especially Bitcoin, Bitcoin only. There's the chance that cryptocurrencies and things beyond cryptocurrencies, uh, you know, could 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 take a real, you know, real good uh, step towards, you know, bringing the end to coercive government, you know, to coercion, to governments and all of that. I please, <laughs> you know, I, I support that all the way. Okay, but that's the thing. That's my real problem is this, this, this narrative that somehow it's changing things. Uh, in some ways, it, it, it is, but in so many, perhaps the most important ways right now, it does not look like that's happening. Do I have to wait? Well, maybe I have to wait, but I hate waiting. <laughs> I want to, you know, I, I want to use the stuff now, you know, that, that that's, that's going to bring it on. Some things take time to develop. There's no doubt about that. And I respect that time especially after making hypercronius. And I want to talk about that for a little bit. Um, and we'll see if I can get into some other, some other listener questions. Uh, but, uh, I actually already got a review for the game. Like I said, the game, you know, hypercronius, it's a, it's a pretty short game. I think it tops out, uh, a little over two hours. You know, if you're really like reading everything through, which the whole point of it, as I've always said on sovereign tech, the you're, you know, when talking about hypercronius is that it is, it's about the story. The story was the most important part uh, to get out there. So I do hope people read it. Um, I'll, I'll read this review and then we'll talk more. Uh, Brian, Hypercronius was awesome. I love the story and the message. I can't wait to find out what happens in future games. I only wish one of the sexy scenes had been interactive. That would have been fun. So thank you so much for that review. I'm I really like, I'll admit it. I was sweating. I was like, oh my God, people are going to hate this. This is going to suck. <laughs> and it's only my first game. Be, be gentle, <laughs> you know? Uh, but anyway, so far what I've heard from people, uh, and I don't think I'm in an echo chamber, you know, they, they've really enjoyed it. So in the development overall, um, I want to lay out that the bulk of the time, because I've been talking about developing this, uh, for a few, quite a few months. And a lot of that time was not actually building the game. A lot of that time was really, uh, you know, I mean, I knew the story, you know, it was, it was making the story, fleshing out the story and it was learning the software. I mean, there are so many, I've never made a game before. 
never even came close. Like I've never done anything even remotely like it. Okay. Other than, you know, maybe like, uh, you know, I played SmackDown two in, uh, you know, in, in the nineties and in the two thousands. And that lets you like do create a player and, you know, set up the game and all this stuff. Other than that, you know, I never really did any of this. Okay. So this is totally new for me, uh, you know, to, to develop this stuff. And so most of the time was just me learning how to do it, how to make it all happen. Um, and I had some, you know, I knew what I wanted. I mean, I, you know, I'm a gamer, <laughs> Uh, you know, I mean, like if the three things that I am, you know, if I was to list off the three things I am in order, one, I'm a historian, uh, two, I'm a gamer, three, I'm a tech journalist. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, you, you can see how important gaming is to me. So I know what a great, you know, what takes, what it takes to make a great game. Okay. You know, and what, what people like kind of look for, you know, I, I know what, what, what needs to be in it. And so I had some pretty big visions in for what hypercronius would end up looking like. And some of the stuff I'll, you know, I'm being totally forthright with you. I was in over my head, you know, at within the timetable I had, I couldn't make that happen within what I was learning. Uh, I couldn't make it happen. And I had to delay the game, which I feel F so, so terrible about. Okay. Um, because it's really important. Like, like this, this company, is, you know, Zomi offline games is a risk I'm taking, uh, you know, and, and it's on a timetable. Okay. <laughs> uh, it, you know, it really is. So, you know, it, uh, bottom line is that that's, that's what took so, you know, so long with that, uh, was really learning, learning the software, writing out the story, um, I've always, you know, I've kind of, I've had stories I've always wanted, uh, to tell. And so in many ways, this is a, you know, a combination of a lot of those different stories. So the story was, you know, wasn't, wasn't, it wasn't terribly arduous, uh, you know, to, to flesh out. Um, but that's the main thing I wanted story being told. So there's a lot more that I wanted to have in Hypercronius. Maybe in the future I can do a special edition. Okay. Uh, or, you know, something along those, those lines. Um, I'm incredibly proud. I think what it is, is beautiful. Again, I've already gotten a lot of great reviews. People really enjoyed it and I'm glad, uh, one of the things I did want is what the emailer asked for is, you know, or was asking about was being able to interact in the sex scenes. That was like one of the number one things I wanted to make happen. And it was just something, you know, that, that at that, at the time, uh, I couldn't get implemented, uh, well, so but that leads to the second point, which is that it's Zomia offline games, not Zomia offline game. And so I have, this is a huge universe. I think when you play, you're going to see that this is part of a much larger story. This is part of a much larger universe. Okay. And the second game there will, I'm already working on the next one. The next game is going to be massive, far more traditional of an RPG. Uh, cause I was being pretty experimental with hypercronius. Uh, you know, I mean, there's just, there's going to be a lot more, uh, to it. Okay. I mean, it's going to be a, it, it, my plan right now is it's going to be a massive, uh, game. So one thing I'll give away, you know, with hypercronius is that the whole, is that largely it takes place on a spaceship. Okay. With, with the next game, it's going to be on a planet. <laughs> okay. And, and you're going to be walking that planet. Uh, so, you know, one of the things I kind of wish I did, which I think would have been, you know, Granted, I guess maybe it would have been more of a challenge in a lot of ways was this game is effectively 16 bit as far as graphics goes. So Hypercronius plays much like a Final Fantasy game, uh, you know, from the 90s, like Final Fantasy three or four or whatever. 
Um, I, I was tempted, you know, when I was done with it, I was like, boy, you know, I would have loved if I could have made this an eight bit, maybe that's something I'll explore is making an eight bit, uh, you know, version of the game or not, not a version of the game, but maybe, you know, one of the sequels will be in, uh, in eight bit. And uh, that would be, I think that'd be a lot of, a lot of fun. Now, eight bit of course is your NES style, uh, graphics, but of course, but I mean, that's where RPG started. You know, and that's kind of the classic gameplay that I enjoy is the RPGs like, uh, you know, Dragon or, well, it used to be called Dragon Warrior, but it's actually like Dragon Quest and final, you know, the, 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 like the first Final Fantasy game uh, and Chrysalis and all that. I mean, just, just fantastic. Uh, my favorite games, you know, largely most of them are my favorite games of all time uh, or on that list anyway. So that that's something I'll be doing and I'll be, you know, there's going to be a lot of games coming out. You know, there's going to be, uh, you know, like side games there's going to be games that take place in between the release of of this one and the release of the second uh game in the series i mean there, i've got i've got a ton planned um to to release but uh you know i i really appreciate the feedback i've gotten i wanted to if you don't know what hypercronius is about uh, i wanted you to kind of you know have a sense of what you're getting into uh when you do grab it and again please please don't hesitate to go to zog.ninja or zomiaofflinegames.com. Click on Hypercronius. It's right there on the left. You can't miss it. And again, you can buy it with Bitcoin or you can buy it with, uh, you know, you can use PayPal or credit card. And of course, you use credit card through the, the PayPal link there. Okay, so, you know, pl- plenty plenty of options <laughs> to, to get your hands on it. Um, but boy, am I, you know, it is grueling. Like, like I re- I'm still, you know, today, like, I still have a headache because like I, I, I'm still feeling the stress that it's not done. Uh, I can't believe that it is done. Like, like it hasn't settled in for me and I've already started, you know, copies have already started selling. Okay. Um, and that's something else too, that I want to lay out to you is that this is a portable game. Like I said, I mentioned it earlier that, that this is a very unique way that you can get the game. Uh, that means you can take it anywhere. There's no digital rights management. You do whatever you want with it. Um, you, you know, you can look through the files and everything. I mean, this is, but for an RPG, this is about the best look into it as you can get and about the, the best with any game that you can do where you can just take it with you. I mean, you can run it off of a flash drive. Use port. We're going to talk about portalapps.com during a, a tool of the week here. But you could toss Hypercronius on there and, you know, play it right off of that. It doesn't require, uh, you know, heavy specs. It doesn't require a great monitor. I mean, the you know, it's 640 by 480. It plays windowed in most on most computers. Uh, you know, there's this is for everybody. And I, I want to, you know, that's something too, is I really wanted it to be some of the wilder ideas I might've been able to implement, but I wanted this to be something I wanted everybody to get on board with the story. And so I did want this to be, I don't want to say not easy, but I wanted it to have, you know, kind of a classic pickup and play. Uh, you know, that, that was really, really important to me that a lot of people could get on board with this, uh, you know, in that way and, and maybe help out with the popularity um, so, you know, the gameplay and, and I never said it would be, you know, the gameplay was not a terribly deep, you know, deep experience. Um, but that was, that was very much by design as I want anybody to be able to pick this up, enjoy the story. Uh, the lovely hyper intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy actually played it and she really loved the characters. She really enjoyed it. She wrote a, a you know, a nice, a very nice review and, and, and shared the, shared the game. So, uh, so that, you know, that's, that's the deal, uh, with, with Hypercronius. Um, if you have questions or whatever about it and you want to send reviews, uh, you know, may, I don't know how many more reviews I'll read on Sovereign Tech. 
Uh, but you know, maybe I'll do a special where, where I read off the reviews and, you know, tell people about it and that, that can, you know, if you want to try it out, you can incentivize and try it, but you know, something like, and, and I want, let me, I was going to talk, actually, somebody sent me a great email that they found a bunch of awesome stuff about Ninja Turtles. And I'm going to talk about that in the future because uh, Sovereign Tech listeners know I love Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Um, but, you know, Zomia Offline Games, um, this is the, the, you know, this is my company. And of course, I'm the only person in it, too. <laughs> uh, but for, you know, in any way that it gets defined as a company, it's it's very much what it is. Um. You know, and, and Hypercronius is the first game, you know, now for me, that really makes it official. OK, for me, you know, the fact that there's a that there's a re, you know, real serious game out there right now, you know, a polished product. OK, uh, that makes only offline games very real to me. And I think I don't know of any other. Now, I, I, I know there's games that have been made by liberty minded people like there's mind things and there's some others. Um, but you know, I don't think that there's ever been like an expressly, like a really like, you know, for lack of a better phrase, you know, hit you over the hammer <laughs> anarchist message, uh, game out there or a company that supports that and wants to make only that. And so I'll admit it. I'm really proud that I'm the first guy. Okay. That I, you know, that I, that I'm first out there and that it's a reality. And the fact that you know, with, with the democratization of communication and data, the fact that that can reach out to just about anybody. Oh, that's exciting. That's really, really exciting that that's a possibility. Um, you know, it definitely speaks to the fact that there's a real chance that people can get some freedom in their lifetimes, I think, or they can get pretty damn close. That's for sure. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm proud of it. Uh, it's definitely something, you know, hopefully I get to talk about, I will be saying how I made, uh, you know, there, there, there's going to be shows and, and other stuff where are, you know, blog posts where I talk about how I made the game so that other people can do it if they want to. And Hey, maybe people will want to do it under the banner of Zomia offline games. I don't have to be the only guy that makes games for Zomia offline games. Uh, but I think it, it's exciting. This is a medium. A lot of these fiction mediums. Uh, you know, are, are just ripe for people to get in there, not just podcasts. There's lots of Liberty podcasts and that's fine. Okay. Uh, you know, and, and there's, there's nonfiction books or whatever, but the like tremendous stories that can get the point across in ways that normal, a lot of other avenues really can't do it. Uh, you know, to, to, to show off alternative lifestyles and things like that. Uh, you know, most subcultures don't take advantage of video games, uh, in my opinion. And so I think it's, it's an area where anarchists really need to step up to the plate and make it happen and make it good, you know, make it a good professional looking product. Okay. Which I like to think hypercronius is. So anyway, exciting times. Uh, appreciate you letting me go on my, my little rant there. And of course I appreciate everyone that has purchased hypercronius so far and for all the reviews. Thank you so much. I'll be back with more. Are you sick of government lackeys who say you didn't build that? Are you tired of elitists like Barack Obama and Al Gore taking credit for the web while trying to take over the web? Are you disgusted by experts whose concept of the internet is that it's a series of tubes? Take back the free market of computing by encouraging software developers to adopt the BIPCOT no-gov license. The BIPCOT no-gov license allows any use or modification except by governments. Go to BIPCOT.org. That's Bravo, India, Papa, Charlie, Oscar, Tango, dot org. 
Do you still have it? Got it right here. But how does this affect System D? I don't know. The message just said it was important. I think we need to find out more about this. Tool of the Week. It is time for Tool of the Week, where I share something that, you know, maybe a website, piece of software, even, uh, you know, a product or hardware that I consider very useful, uh, and I share it with you. Okay. And this week there was, or uh, past couple weeks, uh, a really, really interesting, uh, hack, a real hack. Okay. Hacks are good things. Cracks are malicious, uh, in nature and hack gets used too much. So I'm very careful when I say it, but this is a genuine hack. And, uh, and this is one that just about anybody can do. And there's a link in the show notes, sovereigntech.ninja. You can look at the show notes and, uh, you can find the, the bitly link, uh, there to, to see how to do this. And what this is, is that if you're still using windows XP and I know a lot of people that still are okay. Um, I mean, I've got a machine that still runs Vista. I mean, some people stick with these older versions of, uh, you know, I mean, yes, I use windows seven, you know, on my main machine, but I'm just saying that. You know, people do use sometimes, sometimes you have such a perfect setup with this OS that you've been using for a decade or more, which a lot of people are using, have been using XP for a decade or more. Um, I still, you know, I'll go down and say, I mean, unless Windows 10, like open sources, uh, you know, goes open source. I, I think it might be fair to say that Windows XP uh, or maybe 2000, you know, are like the greatest operate, you know, like the greatest, maybe the greatest operating systems of all time. I know I'm not speaking from a DAPS perspective necessarily there, uh, but XP might have not been so bad <laughs> on the DAP aspect because that was before the NSC, the NSA helped up with the or helped out with the uh, security, uh, you know, with security in the kernel uh, for Windows, which they had started doing, I think, with Windows 7. So anyway, um, if you are still using Windows XP, but you are concerned that you are not getting because they stopped giving you security updates, uh a few months back, there is a hack to solve this and you can go there. There's just in the registry. What's going to happen is, is that whatever you're using, you're probably using windows XP professional. Okay. Which is what most people used, even though home edition was, you know, popular. But anyway, if you're using that, you just change in, in the registry in the windows registry and the instructions on this website are very easy. Uh, you make it think you make windows think that it's actually, not Windows XP Professional or Home Edition, but you make it think that it's the XP that gets like the embedded XP. It's the XP that gets used in point of sale systems, which boy, I used to have to deal with all the time. <laughs> I worked for a company that 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 made point of sale. We were an OEM for Microsoft. And yeah, ooh, Dougie. Anyway, <laughs> uh, but you can you can get updates for like the next five years with this if you do this trick. Now, there is a caveat because some of those updates may not have been designed for XP professional or home edition. And so they might end up, you know, crashing your computer. But I myself, my comfort level, I would do this hack, uh, you know, to, to keep getting those those security updates. But it's a really simple thing to do. And like I said, I mean, if you've got that beautiful machine that runs XP, go for it, man. Do it. You know, I mean, and a lot of people are still using XP. In fact, even uh, Google Chrome, of all things, you know, of all forward thinking things like what they did with, uh, you know, SSL uh, one or whatever. They are supporting XP for like another year now, you know, well into 2016. 
So, you know, if, if you've got that machine where, you know, maybe you're, you're, you're waiting to see, okay, how's Windows 10 going to fan out? Uh, and if it doesn't do well, screw this. I'm just going to go to Triskel Linux or I'm going to go to uh, Apple, I guess. Um, then, you know, but you want to keep using your XP machine? Well, here's your trick. Uh, I think it's great. <laughs> you know, and, and uh, you know, for XP, for what it was, you know, I loved it. Uh, I, I thought it was solid. It was like really, you know, you could really make it really fast. Um, the 64-bit edition of Windows XP never got enough love. It never got enough development. Uh, but I really wish that, that that got a lot more because then I would have never had to deal with Vista, right? <laughs> Um, but, uh, you, you know, so that's, uh, that's something, something to consider. And like I said, you could still run Chrome on it. If a lot of people, their lives, not, I recommend using Firefox, of course, but a lot of people's lives exist within Chrome. So that's, uh, still a possibility, uh, you know, for you to use though. An interesting point I heard that there, there's been reports coming out. We've talked about in the past, how apparently Chrome due to a cycling issue was draining the battery on windows laptops. And now apparently the same is true for the new MacBook. Uh, this is the one that comes in gold or space gray or, you know, whatever the silver, whatever the color. Uh, <laughs> uh, and they said, some people said that, that Chrome, Google Chrome was actually draining their MacBook by like three hours. Like it was taking three hours of battery life off of that thing. And that's one of the beauties of those MacBooks is that, you know, they have this ridiculous over 10 hour battery life. Uh, not so. If you're running Google Chrome, apparently, and I still I'm not totally clear that Google Chrome or that Google has solved the Chrome issue that Windows had, even though they said that they started to or that they had. Uh, so ah, funny, funny stuff. Use Firefox, of course, there. But hey, if you want to still use Windows XP, here's a great solution for you to keep that thing just a little more secure. I'll be back with more. This is Sovereign Tech. Hey, this is Michael Dean from the Freedom Fiends Radio Show. I've been working with computer programmer Derek Slopey to create Fiend Phone. I'm using Fiend Phone right now to talk with and record one of my co-hosts in real time. Take it, Davi. Hey, this is Davi Barker, and I'm a thousand miles away from Michael, but we sound like we're in the same room. We sure do, Davi. So, Davi, please tell the nice people more about Fiend Phone. Fiend Phone is free, open-source software that opens up a global world of possibilities for collaborative, high-quality remote voice media production, and I'm digging it. People can try the Windows beta version of FiendPhone right now at FiendPhone.com. But we're also raising money to vastly improve FiendPhone and vastly improve independent talk media worldwide. So go to FiendPhone.com to help out. Who will build the audio roads? We will, with your help. That's FiendPhone.com. F-E-E-N-P-H-O-N-E.com. Foxtrot, Echo, Echo, November, Phone.com. FiendPhone. I never knew remote audio could be this good. We're never going to make it out alive if those blockchain drones get off the ground. I can handle that. You just find us another ride. Get on! Nice moves. When did you learn that? On with you. No guns, no killing. Are the drones taken care of? They are now. Nothing works better than a quick hack. Let's get going. Hack It is time for HackSec, where I talk issues of hackers and security, and of course on Sovereign Tech, hackers are heroes. 
Uh, black hat, gray hat, white hat, those are definitions given by the system, as it were. Uh, they do not accurately describe the actions of hackers generally, uh, which really should just be broken down to, uh, you know, something malicious against another person, uh, you know, and, and or something that that actually like really is helping free the world. Uh, so anyway, hackers are heroes. And I want to this week but before I get into it, we've got a really interesting story that I kind of teased last week. Um, but I want to mention just a little bit more with that Windows with Windows XP uh, portable apps dot com. I didn't get to this portable apps dot com. If you go there and again, you could run hypercronius on your portable apps dot com thumb drive or flash drive or USB drive or hard drive, you know, portable hard drive. Uh, this, what this allows you to do, if you're a windows user, this is a really, really handy thing. Or actually if you use, like if you use the wine emulator, which, uh, that's something else too. Hypercronius. I, I did, I, or no, I mentioned that earlier in the show that people had already played Hypercronius on Linux. Uh, so I know that that works if you're using, uh, an emulator like wine for windows. Um, which wine stands for wine is not an emulator. That's what, <laughs> that's, that's what the acronym means. <laughs> I love that. But uh, anyway, I think portable apps.com uh, can work in that, but portable apps.com, which allows you to, to download a lot of, you know, really modern software and run it will work with windows XP. So it's a great way if you use a lot of software, like in fact, you can even run Google Chrome on it, but you can run Firefox, Thunderbird, open office, Libra office. There's all, you know, tons and tons of games, including hypercronius. Uh, you know, there's so many things you could run from it. Um, you would never really have to like, you could be a person that exists, you know, without a single machine and you just connect to whatever's handy. Uh, as long as what's around is a windows machine or is running wine. Uh, and that works with windows XP. I highly recommend portable apps.com. I've been using it for a year, almost a decade now. Uh, it's, it's really, really great software. Um, and I love the, the idea of it, you know, that you have a drive that you can very quickly take with you that has all of your, you know, your data and stuff on, especially now when thumb drives, you know, are some, I, I mean, one company, I think SanDisk maybe is, is coming out with a thumb drive that can do a terabyte. That's insane. <laughs> uh, so that's something to look at. But I mean, you know, because portableapps.com, it doesn't just work with Windows XP. It would effectively let you run modern Firefox on Windows 95. That's how backwards compatible that is. That might have changed recently, but I know just a couple versions ago, that was still very, very possible. Um, so anyway, you know, that, that's, that's kind of a tool within a tool that you can use uh, this week if you've never heard of it before, but I try to talk about it often if you're a windows user, or if you have to interact with windows, uh, machines a lot, obviously, if you want to go full dApps, decentralization, anonymity, privacy, and security, obviously you want to be looking at something like Triskel Linux, uh, you know, or Linux and BSD in general. So anyway, let's get into this week's hack sec. And this actually came from a, a great listener. And, uh, it's interesting. So it's a very, very long, uh, story that this person lays out. So I'm kind of going to cut through it a bit, uh, you know, to be able to get it all in, but, uh, let's, let's start here. Um, basically the, and this is, uh, the tale of, let's see, what, what does he call it here? Uh, the tale of the anon, anon, anomalous promoted tweet. And I'll read on. Basically, the other day in my Twitter feed was an ad for Orphan Black. It's a TV show. Uh, it's a pretty good one, too, actually, Stallion uh, cutting in there. Now, the degree to which this was anomalous, 
is only really comprehensible to a certain type of rationalist. But for those rationalists, I will lay out a few things for the rest who stumbled here unwittingly. Well, hopefully by the end, you'll want to learn the tradecraft involved, I guess. Nearly all ads I see on Twitter have an obvious and logical, albeit simple, origin, although I still ignore most of them, which means they've got work to do. Ads on Twitter are meant to be targeted, and I personally prefer this, as should you, sort of. This requires an aside, because most of my friends still don't quite have a grip on this, and I assume uh, some will come here. And this is pretty important, uh, not ads per se, but the line of reasoning involved. So, or why targeted ads are not bad. Let's read this. In a perfect world, ads and content discovery are synonymous, mostly anyway. Things that I don't know about but would like if I did are the things I want to be shown. Ad tech also wants this ultimately. They want products in the eyeballs of exactly who would want it if they had the time to look and no one else. Perfectly product market fit. Anything else is more expensive. More expensive is bad for them and bad for us because then shit costs more. And we as a species use a bunch of shit to build even fancier shit. And somewhere down the line, we're a spacefaring super species. And believe it or not, cheaper, faster iPads do contribute to this. I want to cut in real quick here. Um, I'm not a fan of targeted ads. <laughs> okay. Uh, I think that that requires data collection by people who you have no assurance of what they would do with that data. Uh, but as an aside, the fact that, you know, do iPads actually move technology forward to becoming a spacefaring super species? This is true. Whether you like the idea of transhumanism or not, it's absolutely true. One of the reasons that I heavily support uh, a lot of technology that is kind of ecological in nature to where like it's okay, how can we get a power supply to run on exceptionally less power? You know, now most people, you know, push for that sort of thing uh, because they want to, uh, you know, they're it's for the environment and all this stuff. And in some areas that's true, but in a lot of other areas, scientists are admittedly getting a little funky with that. Uh, believe me, I'm very, very concerned about the ecology uh, and, a very, and biodiversity in a very real way. Uh, so don't confuse me there. Okay. But the idea of having a technology that runs more efficiently, which certainly, you know, smaller smartphones and iPads and all that stuff has definitely paved a way for that in many respects. Uh, yes, that does push forward for that, because if you were spacefaring, you'd need, you know, everything is, is abs every ounce of energy is absolutely essential. Uh, so, yes, it's true that that does lead us towards becoming or that is part of if one chooses to be a, you know, spacefaring sub uh, super species. So anyway, I, I want to cut ahead on on the ad thing. He he just kind of, you know, goes into how ads are pretty much, you know, makes things cheaper. So you actually you do uh, want them to work and you don't want to be, you know, getting your time wasted because then the person gets angry at everything else. And what he goes on to maybe I'll just break it here, because what he goes on to describe in this is that he doesn't he, you know, he never watched Orphan Black. OK, which is how this all started, because he got an ad on Twitter for Orphan Black. He, you know, he, I mean, and he's done nothing for that targeted ad to get to him. Now, I want to be clear, Twitter, with Twitter, with the app, I think you can turn off internet-based ads. You can turn off all kinds of different ad things. You're still going to get ads, but I think you can turn off the tailored ad. So he's kind of inaccurate on that. Um, so, you know, he's never seen Orphan Black. All that ever, the only interaction he ever had with Orphan Black was he was at somebody's house 
And for 20 minutes it was on, or he was at some meeting or something. And for 20 minutes, orphan black was, was on the television and his hypothesis overall, and he lays out a whole bunch more. He makes this big, long case. His hypothesis overall is that the phone, his phone was listening and heard that orphan black was on and that that's why Twitter fed him that ad because, you know, it, it recognized the algorithm recognized that either he, you know, was interested enough in orphan black and, but had to leave early. And so it's supposed to be a reminder so that he sees it or what, however, all, you know, whatever the logic is behind that or the lack thereof, um, that's what it is. So, and one of his theories in this story is an interesting one and it's plausible. And that is a hypersonic watermark. The idea is that the, you know, the, uh, the airing on an official channel cable, whatever of orphan black, the audio on that, and this, you know, incredibly well done speaker systems or not so well done speaker systems that could put on these new televisions these days. And believe me, they're going to make sure you buy a new television all the damn time. Right. Was, you know, was sending out a, a signal that humans can't hear, which we know is true. I mean, like dogs can hear, you know, dog whistles, dogs can hear things humans can't hear. But the, you know, the, the, this is almost like a bad USB, but the phone can hear it and the phone recognizes what it is. Essentially, this hypersonic signal could be stamped saying that it is okay. This person's watching orphan black right now. So register that as, as far as an ad, uh, you know, to forward to him. And he's saying, you know, not just Twitter might do this. Google might do this. All these kinds of companies might do this to be able to push, um, targeted ads. And it's an interesting hypothesis. Uh, you know, is it happening? Maybe. And I don't think that any company would feel any shame about it uh, because, I mean, when you look at like Samsung, Samsung on their TVs, you know, they're putting ads on your volume bar, like right above the volume bar. There's a fucking ad. And as if, as if you didn't pay enough for the television, right? As if you didn't already hash out 10 grand, <laughs> you know, for that 8K TV. I mean, it's, it's crazy. So I do I think that this is a possibility well, we found out that bad USB was right, which was, you know, somehow this transmission of a hypersonic signal that a, that a turned off modern computer could hear. We found out that bad USB did happen. Okay. And we know that these people will go to any lengths to get ads out there. Yeah, honestly, I think it's, I think it's pretty possible. I wouldn't put it past them. I can't say for certain that it's happening. I'm not saying, you know, I mean, and what's the answer to this? Well, the answer is, is to, you know, again, keep these devices that have 10 billion sensors on them or that can recognize hypersonic signals, you know, don't carry them with you all the time. That's really the only answer to the whole thing. Okay. But I'm not saying that, that, that this is certainly happening. I don't know that we haven't heard a whole lot of reports on whether or not it happens, but like the guy said, you know, he doesn't usually even notice the Twitter ads and I don't either. I, I really never notice them. Okay. Uh, so, you know, maybe people just don't report it and it is actually happening all the time. I don't know. Uh, you know, what enables this? Well, obviously, largely that's, you know, the NSA. The NSA is probably very happy that these microphones would be listening at all times, which makes it all the more plausible. Uh, but as with everything, come to your own conclusions and have your own opinions on the matter. I'm sharing it with you, and I'm just saying it's not that crazy that that happened. I'll be back with more. 
Babylon 5 ended a great war and united a hundred alien races in peace. Danger didn't die. It just went underground with new heroes and new evils to carry the torch. We need to make sure they all understand we will not be intimidated. What is wrong with you people? We have to set him against himself. It's an entire new season of Babylon 5 with all new episodes. Babylon 5 is available for download on your favorite torrent site. See it now to experience the greatest show in television history. Babylon 5. Ah, oh, we made it. They're not kidding when they say you're the best, Mr. Sovereign. Oh, Elizabeth, you haven't seen anything yet. Oh, really? Really? Why don't I show you? Right here? Out in the woods? On the bike? Elizabeth, I can rise to any, any occasion. Oh, Brian. The Climax. It is time for The Climax, where, frankly, I talk about whatever the hell I want to talk about. (laughs) And we are almost to episode 125, so I just want to remind you, don't worry. I got some new, uh, you know, some new beds, new, uh, new openers, new intros to every segment, uh, coming. So I, I, you know, and I personally, I enjoy the hell out of them. <laughs> so anyway. Uh, but what I want to talk about, you know, is cause I can, again, with the climax, I could talk about a book, a movie, uh, could be a topic, could be poetry. Hell, it could be anything. It could be a comic book. Uh, you take your, you know, you take your pick of it or I take my pick of it. That's the point is I get to pick. I give the listeners a lot of opportunity, uh, to, you know, to have them, to have me talk about what they want me to talk about. But this is the point where I talk about anything. I get to geek out and do whatever. And what I want to talk about is actually very much relative to the porn story that we mentioned earlier. And this is about the, about innovation and about creativity in various uh, fields and markets and spaces. So a movie that's coming out this week or not this week, but uh, this summer that I'm very excited about is the new Terminator Terminator Genesis. Uh, I am a huge fan of the Terminator movies. Um, you know, I mean, it, and, and obviously a lot of people are because, you know, Skynet is pretty much a cultural meme. Uh, and, uh, you know, I don't know if I've ever because sometimes I'll talk about franchises during the climax or it used to be called the pick of the week. So I, don't, I honestly can't remember if I ever talked about the Terminator series uh, in Sovereign Tech history, though I think I have uh, because I, I seem to remember talking about like the Sarah Connor Chronicles which was a great show on Fox only lasted two seasons, but then Fox is notorious for canning great shows way too early. Right. Consider like kindred, the embraced amazing show on Fox. Uh, but anyway, the Terminator series is great. Uh, there's a lot, you know, a lot of really interesting messages, a lot of interesting things, uh, you know, to consider, uh, when you watch, uh, these movies and very much, you know, now everything's CGI and most people don't remember, a time when movies weren't all, all CGI, uh, but Terminator, especially Terminator two really pushed, um, you know, the, the, the industry, the movie industry and technology in general, very much forward. Okay. Uh, the first movie, the first Terminator was kind of the proof and something that, you know, I'm certainly hopeful for is that, is that a very indie production. Okay. With a guy who's never tried half the stuff before. And some of it's experimental ended up doing really, really well. That being James Cameron with making the first Terminator it was, it was in many ways an indie film. Um, 
And so with hypercronius, here's hoping. <laughs> um, but you know, and then Terminator two just pushed everything forward. And then James Cameron wasn't involved anymore. And there's Terminator three. I really liked Terminator three. I thought it was a fantastic, uh, a film. I know a lot of people kind of rip on it, but I thought it was awesome. Uh, there's been a lot of books, a lot of, uh, a lot of video games. In fact, Terminator video games, talking about video games, holy shit. There, there's been tremendous, uh, like there's the one 2089, I think is the name. It was like Terminator 2089 from this is, you know, these are games that were made for DOS. Uh, those were fantastic. Uh, it's, it's a huge franchise and just about everything done for it. There's comic books that actually J. Michael Straczynski, who's the creator of Babylon five greatest TV show ever made. You just probably just heard an ad for it. Uh, he, he wrote for it. Uh, there is obviously the Terminator versus Robocop. There's all this great stuff out there that, uh, you know, that, that you can take in if you really love the Terminator series. And ironically, in many ways, this is part of that whole innovation thing. Okay. You know, how, why are they still make, how is it that they still make Terminator movies? How is it that, you know, all this stuff is still, you know, still going like there's novels and there's comics and all that stuff. And that's really one of the ways that, that a person can innovate. Now, like I said, this is kind of relative to the porn industry. I don't know how the porn industry would necessarily get into the business of comic books and all that. But if I was a porn actor or actress, uh, you know, maybe I would try and sign a deal and, and actually porn actresses have done this where they create comic books about themselves, kind of where they're superheroes and obviously comic books, women in comic books lend themselves very much to uh, porn star dimensions. So, <laughs> uh, so there's something to be said for creating a multimedia experience. Um, but that, that can kind of go two ways because at the same time, you, not everything needs to be this gigantic multimedia experience. But that's one way to innovate. But one of the ways that, and this is something that everybody I think missed and that it's that the movie industry particularly, and the, maybe the porn industry could do something like this too, is really missing. And what I want to tell you about isn't so much the Terminator franchise. I got that across that I really, really love it. Uh, but there was when DVDs were kind of just started. Okay. This is the late nineties. And like DVDs were costing $30, $40 a pop. Now you can buy them for a dollar or five. Like these were events when people made DVDs. Okay. And, you know, I think whoever was working in Hollywood at the time that was put, you know, that was working with the DVD creators and all this, I think they realized, hey, we, you know, if we want to get people off of VHS, we've got to really give them a reason to. And so they innovated. And again, sometimes when, when some movies came out on DVD, I mean, it was, you know, full commercials. It was a, it was an absolute event when things would come to DVD. And probably the, the first one that I think really took advantage of what DVD can do, because there's a lot of things. This is one thing the porn industry did take advantage of was multiple angles, even though they didn't do it enough uh, because DVDs allowed for a movie to have multiple angles. Now, for whatever reason, I don't know why Hollywood didn't decide to put just a couple more cameras in on a film to create this experience because you're not going to, you know, with, with pirating, you're either a, you're going to subject them to the fact that like, say with Blu-rays, if they did it with Blu-rays, you know, this multi-angle thing, people would have to download, you know, 30 gig, 50 gig at a time to be able to experience the movie in such a cool way. Okay. And, but, but the fact that it's such a high gig count makes it very prohibitive to do it for all kinds of movies. Sooner or later, someone would, would have to go out and buy a movie. So Terminator 2 was one of these DVD releases. It was like the ultimate edition, you know, 
And it was one of these that, that, that really put, I mean, like it just, they jam packed everything they possibly could, uh, onto this DVD. And it was beautiful. It worked out really well. You got a director's cut version of it, and then you had the theatrical version uh, of it. And there had been great releases for Terminator 2 on VHS as well, where like it came with a statue of, uh, uh, you know, of, of, of Arnold as the T-101 and everything. But here's, the, here's one of the neat tricks, is that DVDs used to put in what's known as Easter eggs. And in these Easter eggs... Like you, you didn't know they were there. You'd have to hit the directional button. It almost made it into a game. You had to hit the directional button on your remote for the DVD player to find where these things are. And most people, half the time, they don't even know they exist. Uh, one in particular was Gladiator, the movie, great movie Gladiator with Russell Crowe. Uh, you could see the Chicken Run, which was another movie from back then, which is like one of those uh, claymation movies that that had Mel Gibson and some others. Uh, chicken run, you could watch the gladiator version, uh, or like the chicken run gladiator styled theatrical trailer. If you went to like the, uh, like this, this breastplate on Marcus Aurelius in this picture in one of the, one of the menus on the DVD. So anyway, with Terminator two, there was a point where you could access like the, 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 you know, the menu would come up on the DVD and it would be, uh, you know, an exoskeleton and be a head of a Terminator. And there was a point where you could access the side of the head of the Terminator. And you could input numbers from the number pad on the remote control. And what would happen is if you put in the date for Judgment Day, you know, it should be, you know, August 97, whatever. That Judgment Day at the time, it, it always kinds of shifts. <laughs> you, um, you would end up with a third edition of the film. They had like some deleted scenes in it and some other stuff. Uh, it was really cool. And look, there's especially at that time, it was incredibly difficult. And even today, I think it'd be a bit of a stretch. It's incredibly difficult to get that experience off of a torrented file. You're going to want to pay for that experience. You're going to want to show uh, appreciation. Let's not consider it. You know, you don't even have to think of it as money. You're going to want to show appreciation to the person that took all that time to develop such a fantastic, uh, you know, homage or, or uh, uh, Easter egg, you know, uh, such a fantastic thing that you really pays off for the fan that knows what judgment day is and knows his Terminator. You know, he gets to explore a bit of this universe. So there's, there's things that a lot of these people could do, you know, that, 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 that could really take advantage, you know, not all the ideas have been thought up, but it's interesting that that whole notion. And I loved that to have interactive menus, to have like, you know, these hidden Easter eggs, uh, to have like, you know, ways that you could really, uh, you know, secret things that you could find out, you know, about a movie or a TV show or whatever, you know, that's just gone. I mean, it's done. Like, I don't, I don't know if many Blu-rays do any kind of Easter egg or anything like that. I mean, now a lot of people will put Easter eggs into movies, like in episode two of Star Wars, there's a point when they're flying through Coruscant that you can see uh, two TIE fighters chasing an X-Wing. Of course, it's impossible for there to be two TIE fighters and an X-Wing in, in that time frame, but George Lucas tossed them in there. So, or at least ILM did. Um, so I actually, I really, I'm, I'm kind of disappointed that the entertainment industry, not just the movie industry, but the entertainment industry uh, isn't paying out the fan lip service and they're not, they're not even bothering to figure out how to do it. It's like, they're just trying to fill their coffers and run away. 
you know, make the money while they can, because we're about to hit a drought of some kind. Like that, that's, that's very much what it feels like, you know, is, is going on. And I'm really annoyed because I mean that, especially the Terminator two one, that was so cool. I mean, it's just a little something, you know, to do. Uh, and when you could put a DVD into a, you know, into a, uh, you know, a, a DVD drive on a computer, it made when you could move the mouse around the menu, it made it a lot easier to find the Easter eggs. Um, but all that kind of stuff, it's like, yeah, that that's great. And and I don't think most people don't realize it. And maybe that's kind of the point is that you're not supposed to see it. Um, but it's not like a feature that even really got touted. It was just like something fun that somebody did that was putting it all together. Uh, I don't, you know, I, I don't know why they didn't take advantage of it. So in the end, it just comes down to the same message that we made earlier, of course, that these industries don't want to innovate. They want to sit on their asses. And because of that, I mean, that means there's still a chance, you know, for people to disrupt this sort of thing, even though, you know, one could make an argument about is constant disruption such a good thing. Uh, you know, a lot of there's there's not everything has been thought of. There's so much creativity to be had there. And I feel like in large part, the bulk of industries that exist today other than the independent houses, uh, I feel like that they really, they don't care. And they're just trying to coast as much as they can with iterative shit. This isn't just true for the entertainment industry. This is true for the technology industry. Apple's is iterative as hell. Uh, Google's iterative as hell. Most of these companies, you know, are, are just terribly iterative where, you know, they're, they could do a lot more and sell it for the same price. And they don't because, you know, they're, they're, they're planning their, uh, their margins 10 years from now on money that they've already spent. It's terrible business that people just keep falling for because they don't, they don't want more. They don't demand more. No one even tells them that there's more. It's a shame because boy, I thought that that Terminator two DVD, that was awesome. I mean, it's worth buying to this day. Because that is such an experience. And people used to care about experiences. You know, I mentioned uh, a couple episodes ago how like books, even books in, you know, through, uh, you know, the, the, the 15th, 16th, 17th century and, and even onward, you know, they put in like mini stories off to the size and the edges of their pages because they wanted to give people value out of what they had. You know, I, this is maybe the first saying I ever made on Sovereign Tech. Profit's not a dirty word. That's an Ayn Rand saying, but I added to it. But value isn't either. And innovation isn't either. I'll add that on. Real innovation, you know, and really giving something, paying lip service to the fans. Uh, you know, even if it's a minuscule amount of people, believe me, they'll notice. I know that for a fact now with Hypercronius, because there's some Easter eggs there. And, uh, and one person already messaged me and said, oh, I see what you did there. And it just makes for a better experience right out of the gate with people when you do this sort of thing. Anyway, please grab a copy of Hypercronius. Uh, if you like, go to zog.ninja and you can get a copy there. It's right on the left-hand side. Use Bitcoin, use credit card or PayPal. Take your pick. Uh, or you can also donate to the show, the Support Us tab. There's Patreon, uh, all kinds of cryptocurrencies that accept as donations if you enjoy what I'm doing here. Thank you so much, everyone. Carpe Lucem! I'll see you on the other side. You just experienced Sovereign Tech. Go to SovereignTech.com. That's S-O-V-R-Y-N-Tech.com. And connect with us there. Find links from today's show and catch our podcast feed. Sovereign Tech is copy heart. 
Copying art is an act of love, and love is not subject to law. So please, share the show however you like. Welcome to the Evolution. Evolution. 